John chapter four and also in John chapter 20, I think uh, will also be up on the screen. You can go ahead and put up John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 through 31. It says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written, John said, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have to be gathered together in your presence today. And Lord, I ask that in these next few moments together, as we center our attention around the living, powerful word of God, I pray that you would just begin to grab our attention this morning. May you convict our hearts and challenge, Lord, our thinking and our way of life so that we would better reflect the image of your son, Jesus Christ. As we look at this second sign recorded in the Gospel of John, Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes and our ears to see and hear from you this morning. Holy Spirit, may you just begin to do a work in our lives today, I pray. Help me to speak your word with simplicity, with boldness, with clarity, and God, I pray that you would help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Leading up to Easter, uh, we are exploring or have been or will be exploring the seven signs that, will, that are recorded in John's gospel. All of these signs or all of these miracles, they point to Jesus Christ being the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. The gospel of John had a very clear purpose, and we read it here in John chapter 20. I wanna point your uh, attention to the screen once again. It says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. And so what John is saying is, though there are many other signs that took place, many other miracles that Jesus engaged in, here are the ones that I want to focus our attention on this morning. And so we see really the purpose behind John's gospel uh, recorded here in John chapter 20, verses 30 through, through 31. And he says, these are written, these signs, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And so these signs are not just recorded so we can read through them and say, oh, those were cool. Jesus turned water into wine or he raised you know, Lazarus from the dead. How cool is that? No, these signs are recorded so that we may believe in Jesus, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that by believing in him, you and I may have life. Jesus said himself in John chapter 10, I came uh, to bring you life and life more abundantly. And so as we believe in Jesus, we are promised that eternal life that will bring us glory. So we see the purpose of John's gospel uh, here in John chapter 20. We know that, that John's gospel, I said this last week, but let me just give you a little bit more of the context once again. In John's gospel, we see that there is an evangelistic bend to his gospel. John three sixteen. we know the passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And so John's gospel has, a, has kind of this evangelistic element to it 
as you read through it. That's why many people will say to you, if you are you know, new to the faith, oftentimes they will point to John as being a good place to start uh, when you begin to read the scriptures. Now, I often will point people to the gospel of Mark. At the end of the day, I don't think you can go wrong because it is scripture. It is the word of God. It is living. It is powerful. It will change us and transform us. And so we see that there is this evangelistic bend in his gospel. We also know in John's gospel that it reveals Jesus as being superior to the Jewish way of life. We know in John chapter one, it says that the law was given through whom? It was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we see all throughout John's gospel, what, what, what John is doing, he is painting Jesus as being better than or superior than uh, the Jewish way of life. We know that, that, the, that the Jews, even in the Old Testament, what would they do? They would bring sacrifice upon sacrifice, animal upon animal, and, and trying to atone for their sins, but it would never completely fulfill that atonement. But when Jesus Christ, who is what? The Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, when he went to the cross, his sacrifice was once and for all. It was all sufficient. I am thankful, so I hope you are too, that we don't have to continue to offer animal sacrifices day after day after day to atone for our sins. Jesus Christ took care of that. When he declared on the cross, it is finished. What he was saying in those words is he was saying to you and me and to all of humanity that your debt has been paid for in full. And I'm thankful for that. And so part of, part of John's gospel is to show us as readers that Jesus is better than the, this, this Judaism, this Jewish way of life because he is the better sacrifice. He is the better priest and his sacrifice was once and for all. We also know as we read through John's gospel, that it encourages believers to persevere. He says that these signs are written so that you may what? Continue to believe. So what John is saying is that these signs are, are recorded not just for your benefit, not just so you, can, you, you have knowledge of what Jesus did, but these signs are recorded so that you may persevere, grow in your faith, so that you may continue to believe. They, they not only evoke new faith, but they, they, they bring or ignite continued faith in us. And so that is why these signs exist. The seven signs in John's gospel, they all point to Jesus as the son of God. That is key. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but John's gospel was written a little bit later than the rest of the, the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic gospels, means same or similar. And John's gospel was written a little bit later. And if you were to, to take John's gospel and lay it up in a, against Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will see that there are some unique elements in John's gospel that you do not find in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Part of that is because John is writing uh, to an audience that is much later than, than Matthew, Mark, or Luke are being written to. And, and, and part of the issue was that there, was, there's, there started to be some, some false ideologies or teachings that were starting to creep their way into the church regarding who Jesus was. There were people that were denying the fact that Jesus Christ was the son of God. Some were saying he was just some created individual. Some were saying that he was just a man and, and, not, and not divine at all. And so part of what John is doing in his, in his gospel 
through these signs is he is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed, is indeed the son of God. He is divinity. And we see that from the very beginning. What does John say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And so all of what John is doing, when you read through his gospel, and I know there may be a lot of parts, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? What is he saying? But part of what John is doing is he's trying to indicate to you and to me that Jesus Christ, indeed, he is the son of God. He's not, he's not just some created human individual. He's not just some good prophet or good teacher. He is more than that. He is better than that. He is God himself in the flesh. And so that is what we see in John's gospel. These signs would evoke new faith among some. These signs would also strengthen present faith. When we looked at Jesus turning water to wine, uh, we see that it revealed the glory of God. What we're gonna look at in a few weeks when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it points to the fact that Jesus is the son of God because he has life-giving power, power to raise the dead. We will see even next or two weeks from now that, that Jesus has life-giving provision in him. He will take five loaves of bread and two fish. And what is he gonna do with that? He's gonna feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And, and so many believe that he fed about 12,000 people when you factor in the women and the children that would have been present. So we see in these signs, they don't just point to Jesus as being some you know, prophet or some good teacher. They point to him as being God, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And so that is why John writes his gospel. It would evoke new faith among many, but we also know that it would strengthen present faith among some. First sign we, we looked at last week was when Jesus turned water to wine. And we, we discovered a few things about this miracle that took place. It took place at a wedding party or a wedding feast. We learned that, first of all, Jesus is the one that our hearts are truly longing for. How do we learn that? We, we know when it refers to, to wine in the Old Testament or new wine, it oftentimes speaks of, of the day of salvation or the messianic day. Anytime you, you read prophecies in, in Amos or, or in the book of Jeremiah and it refers to new wine, it oftentimes is referring to this day of salvation that is coming. And so in the Jew, Jewish mind, they were looking for, expecting, longing for a Messiah to come. And in the moment that Jesus turns water to wine at this wedding feast, it's indicating to those present and it's indicating to you and me that not only has the day of salvation come, but it has been ushered in by Jesus Christ himself, the son of God. And so what do we learn from that? We learn that Jesus indeed is what our hearts are truly longing for. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in who? In Jesus. And so we, we discovered that last week. We also learned that Jesus is better than anything the world can or will offer. When Jesus took, took the water and he turned it into wine, they, they, they indicated that he brought the best for last. And we know that those jugs, remember I talked about there were six stone jars or jugs that were used uh, for ritual cleansing. They weren't small little tiny jugs, all right? These were stone jars that would hold like 20 to 30 gallons of water. And they had six of them. And they, and they would oftentimes be used for any time that people would come in, they needed to be ritually cleaned or cleansed. What they would do is they wash their hands or, or their feet with this water. And so what Jesus is indicating, though, it, it would only clean them externally, 
But what we see in what Jesus does in this miracle is not only does he provide an outward cleansing, but Jesus does something even better. He cleanses our hearts. He purifies us. He makes us holy. He makes us like him. And we learned that last week. And we also discovered that Jesus' glory revealed will impact our faith. What happened at the end of that miracle or that sign? Remember when Jesus turned water into wine, what happened with the disciples? It said they saw what occurred. They saw Jesus' glory revealed and they believed. It, it impacted their faith. We, we know that anytime that you and I, anytime we encounter the glory of God, anytime we encounter the presence of God in, in a worship setting or, or through the word of God that is preached, or maybe, maybe just on your own, you're driving down the road, you're, you, you have the worship music blasting in, in your car and, and, and God just begins to speak to you or begins to move in a powerful way. Anytime that we encounter God's presence or his glory, our faith is impacted. It happened for Moses. Remember Moses, he was on the mountain and, and he wanted to see God and he said, well, I'll let my glory pass by you. So he hit him in the cleft of the rock and the glory of God passed by. And it says that he trembled. And what happened? He began to worship. He was impacted by the glory of God. Same thing for Isaiah. Remember in Isaiah chapter six, this is when Isaiah is called. He is called into ministry and he receives this incredible vision of God. And we read in Isaiah chapter six that Isaiah sees God in his temple. And it says the train of his robe filled the entire temple. There were seraphims six of them or, or several seraphim and they had six wings with two they covered their faces with two they covered their feet with two they flew and what it what is and it says holy 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 is the lord god almighty and what is isaiah's response when he encounters the glory of god he says to god he says here i am i'm available send me so anytime that you and i encounter the glory of god we encounter his faithful presence folks our life will be marked our life will be changed we cannot walk away uh, the same if we come in contact or we encounter the presence of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we looked at last week. Some of you are like, just get to what you wanna talk about this week. All right, I'm going to. All right, today we're gonna look at the second sign of Jesus recorded in John's gospel, and it is the healing of a royal official's son. This sign will also occur, this is, this is important, and, and I want you to have your Bibles open to John chapter four. We're gonna read it here in a few moments or unpack it a little bit. But, but this sign also occurred in Cana of Galilee. So the same place that Jesus turned water into wine is the same location of this second sign. We also know that Jesus had, if you read the rest or, or read before that in John chapter four, we learn that Jesus had spent a few extra days in Sychar. Sychar was a Samaritan village where several people came to believe on Jesus. Jesus is met in John chapter four, he is met by a royal official from Capernaum who desperately pleads for Jesus to come heal his son who is sick and near death. This royal official, he was not part of the in crowd. He was not one of the disciples. He was not somebody who, who knew Jesus incredibly well or had a deep relationship, but he knew Jesus enough to know that I'm gonna leave Capernaum, my hometown. I'm gonna travel about 20 miles and I'm gonna come to Cana and, and, and meet this man, Jesus, to see if he can heal my son. So he at least had knowledge of who Jesus was, enough to know that if he could get Jesus to come to Capernaum, maybe his son would live. This sign was unique and that the healing actually took place. And I want you to see this. The healing took place without the son being present. 
There was no action required. Jesus just simply spoke the word. He didn't have to like dip himself in a pool to be healed. Jesus didn't have to be present to to touch the man before he was healed. Jesus simply spoke the word and the man was healed or the boy was healed and restored. So I wanna read this to you. If you have your Bibles, it's not gonna be on the screen, but John chapter four, I want want you to see the story of what, what unfolds and we're gonna unpack it quickly this morning. John chapter four, beginning at verse 43 says, at the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. And Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And keep in mind, he's not just talking to to the royal official here. He's talking to the the crowd that is present. Will you all, we, we miss that here because we think he's talking just to the man, but he's talking to the entire crowd. He's saying, will you all, will y'all still believe? Look at verse 48. Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And look at this, and the man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. The man was on his way. Some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy began to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And then the father realized, I love this, that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household, look at this, he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. There are four very powerful truths that emerge from this second sign in John's gospel that I wanna share with you this morning that I believe reveal to us once again that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I believe as we unpack this this morning, our faith will be strengthened uh, and we will be encouraged this morning. Number one, the first one is this, his word alone has unmatchable power to bring forth an incredible move of God. Look at that, his word alone has unmatchable power to bring forth incredible moves of God. I wanna unpack that this morning. We see this first, and I'm not gonna read it, but I would encourage you to go back and read all of John chapter four because it's important to understand the context to really get at what Jesus does here. But we see this power of God in his word alone even before this second sign in John's gospel. Earlier in John chapter four, remember, Jesus comes to a village in Sychar, a village by the name of Sychar, and he encounters this woman at a well, Samaritan woman. And if you remember, he sits down by the well, and I'm not gonna get into all the details of the story, but he enters into a conversation with this woman, and by mere nature of his presence, And by mere nature of his spoken word, this woman's life, a Samaritan woman's life was forever transformed. And when her life was transformed, what does she do? She goes back to her village and she says to her people, she says to her family, she says to her friends, let me tell you about this man that told me everything that I ever did. He he knew everything about me. And let me tell you about how he changed my life. And as she shared the word of God, as she shared how her life had been changed, there were others in that village that began to believe on Jesus. 
And it really stirred up this faith in this entire Samaritan community. We know that many believe because of the word. Look at this in John chapter four. It it says very specifically that many Samaritans from the village, many believe because of the words, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. She simply shared her testimony. She simply shared the word of God with her village. And as a result, many people believed. It goes a little bit further than that. They were then hungry for more. They they wanted to hear more stories. They they wanted to experience more of what this woman had encountered. So so what did they do? They said to Jesus, can can you stay a little bit longer? They requested that he stay for, for two more days. And as a result of Jesus staying, what did he do in those two days? He took that as an opportunity to share with them who he was and what he can do for their life. And as a result, not only just did this woman and just a few believe, but the entire community was transformed as a result of the presence of Jesus Christ, the word, and his spoken word. We read this in John 4, look at verses 40 through 42. This is just before the second sign. It says, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but now we have heard him ourselves and now we know that he is indeed what the savior of the world. So this woman's testimony stirred up faith among her community, but then Jesus stayed for two more days, and as he shared and as he ministered in this Samaritan village, an entire community was changed and transformed. Why? Because of the word, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, his mere presence and his spoken word brought life change to this community. And so we know that his word, his presence, and his spoken word, we, we have his spoken word. We have a revelation of who God is in the scriptures. And we know that his word turned an entire community upside down. What incredible power and authority that Jesus's word has. We then see as we move into our narrative today that this move of God continued into Galilee. The official, let me kind of unpack the story a little bit and we'll go back and forth into what happens. This royal official, he requested Jesus's presence to come to Capernaum to heal his son. He heard that Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee and so he met him in Cana, about 20 miles or so away from Capernaum. He gets there quickly, he finds Jesus and he pleads with him to come. Look at John chapter four, verse 49. It says the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And what does Jesus do in response to this plea? He just simply says to the man, your son will live. And I love it because the royal official, he believed the word that was spoken. And as a result of the spoken word, the boy was healed and the entire household believed. Look at John 4 verse 53. It says the father realized that that, that that was the very time Jesus told him your son will live and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. I love it because the man did not, he didn't question Jesus. He didn't say, you know, you know he didn't argue with him. No, you need to come now. He just simply took Jesus at his word. Jesus said, your son will live. And as a result, the man returned home and he discovered that at the moment Jesus spoke, those life-changing words was the moment that his son was restored. He took him at his word. His word alone has unmatchable power to do something incredible in the kingdom of God. And we see that here in this story. Folks, the word, the presence of Jesus Christ, the son of God, still has power to transform 
and bring forth an incredible move of God. His word, his presence wasn't just for those in John's gospel, wasn't just for those in the first or second century. His word, his presence that we can encounter doesn't just have to be on a Sunday morning. We can encounter his presence anywhere and at any moment, at any time. But as we encounter his presence, he still has power to do something incredible in our lives and in our hearts. His word is healing and restorative power to transform family brokenness. His word has saving power to draw individuals, unsaved individuals and prodigals and even unreached people to himself. You might be praying for a son or a daughter or a grandson or granddaughter that doesn't know Jesus, folks. He has the power to bring them or draw them to himself. And so certainly that is still true for us today. We also know that his word has revealing power to show himself through others, to communities and nations and the worlds. Guess what? Through his local church, we are an expression of the body of Christ and and, and we have the ability to to show and reflect the love and the heart of Jesus. Every time we leave this place, every time we go into the grocery store, go into our workplace or go into our homes, we have an ability to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, people, guess what? They see Jesus through our lives. And, And so that's how his word, it has revealing power to show himself through others like you and me, like the local church to other communities, nations in the world. And his word has life-giving power. Again, John chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Have everlasting life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. His word, his presence, it has transforming power to change our hearts, to change our lives, to change our families, to change our homes, to transform our nation, our communities, and the globe. We just need to recognize that his word alone is enough and has that unmatchable power. Jesus, the word is still the answer to all of our problems, and he has the power to do the impossible. We don't need to keep searching or looking for the answer somewhere else. We don't need to keep you know, longing or hoping that the answer is gonna come through some other figures, through some other means. Jesus is enough. His word is enough to do an incredible move of God in our hearts, our lives, and in our communities. Number two, faith is always stirred up or strengthened in the presence of God's word. I love this. I love this when we see this in the story. The royal official, look at this. He arrived in Cana with what I would refer to as weak faith, but he left with strong faith. He had some faith because he knew or at least was aware that that if he could get to Jesus, if he could get Jesus to come from Cana to Capernaum, 20 miles away, and, and, and do something miraculous in the presence of his dying son, he had enough faith to actually go to Jesus to request his presence. But I would suggest to you it was, it was weak faith. And let me describe how we see his faith grow even in this moment. The initial request was for him to come to Capernaum. Come to my hometown. Come to my house and heal my son. John four forty seven. it says he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. He assumed, look at this, he assumed that Jesus had to be present to heal his son. The assumption was that the only way my son is gonna live, if I can get this man, Jesus, who I've heard about to my house to touch my son or, or to instruct him to go dip in the pool or whatever Jesus needs to do, but the assumption was that Jesus had to be present in order to heal. The assumption was that, that healing was only available if Jesus was present. Get, look at this, he saw the distance Capernaum to Cana, 20 miles away. He saw the distance as a limitation to his son's health and well-being. 
but it was not. Jesus's healing power, Jesus's presence is not limited by distance, by time, by circumstances. And we see that even in this story. It appears, we, we do the same though, don't we? We, we limit God, we, we put him in a box. We, we think that, that, that God can only do so much and we, we see God uh, kind of in this little small picture, or this small box, but the reality is he, he exceeds our expectations and he does that here in this story, in this sign by doing what? By healing the boy from a distance. There was no magical words spoken. Jesus just simply said to the father, your son will live. And at that moment, at the spoken word of Jesus, the son was restored. The word alone is enough and distance, distance doesn't matter. Jesus can, can supersede that or exceed that and he does in this story. It appears, this is interesting though, it appears as if the people present, they had a reputation for having a weak faith. They needed signs and wonders to believe. Look at what Jesus says to the people. He says, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, this appears to be the nature of human faith, though. We, we do it as well. We'll say things to God. We'll make, we'll make these, these agreements. If you do this for me, God, then I will do this for you. Or what about Thomas? Remember Thomas, who, who had faith in Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus do incredible miracles. But remember after the resurrection, what does what is, what is Thomas say when Jesus appears? He says, let, let me see the, the scars. Let me see the holes in your hand, and then I will believe. And so we see even for Thomas, there is this sense that, that, that he needed a sign or needed something miraculous to occur for him to believe. But he did have faith and his faith was indeed strengthened. When Jesus said to the man, your son will live, he left and appeared to take him at his word. The royal official, he came with weak faith. He said, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. I need you to do whatever you, you do and, and heal my son. And, and if you do that, then maybe he will live. But, but he left with a strong and confident faith because when Jesus said, your son will live, he didn't argue with him. He didn't ask him how. He didn't say, you know, don't you have to be here? Don't you have to be present? It just simply said that he, he left and he took him at his word. He left with stronger faith than he came with. And how do we know that? First of all, I don't have time to go into all the details of this, but if you read and you look at the text, it appears as if the man took his time to get back. He, he didn't rush back. I, I, when I think about that for a moment, if I'm the father and I'm desperate for, for my son to be healed and restored and, and this man says, your son will live, I'm gonna get back as quickly as I can to go see if that is the case. I'm gonna rush back to the home. I'm not sleeping through the night. I'm not stopping at a hotel. I'm not stopping for gas. You know, if I have to, I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna get there because I wanna get back as quickly as, my, as I can to my son. And I wanna see if he indeed is restored. But we see from the text, and if you unpack it a little bit, it appears as if the man didn't really hurry back in the first place. He took his time because when they ask him about, when he meets up with his servants, he says, well, what time was he, he healed or restored? And he said, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock or so. Um, and, and so we see that there is, no, there is no hurriedness by this man to get packed, indicating that he just simply took Jesus at his word. He had confidence in the word that God offered. He walked away with that confidence and the sign confirmed that Jesus' word and revealed the strong faith of the man. Look at John chapter four. It says, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared and then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus told him your son will live and he and his entire household believed. We see the same thing occur again in John chapter four earlier with the Samaritan woman. 
the Samaritan village, they believed. Why? Because of the word. They, the, the word ignited new faith in them. And as a result, they believed in Jesus. Faith here is ignited at the presence of God. What, what, what does Paul say about faith? What does he say in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? He says this, so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so the moment that Jesus speaks or the mere presence of Jesus is enough and it is because of his presence, it is because we hear the spoken word or hear the word proclaimed that faith is ignited in us. It is stirred up in us when his word is preached. This is why, folks, let me just get, let me get real with you, very practical with you. This is why we as a church, we are committed to the mission here at Glad Tidings Church, which is what? It is to develop biblically sound believers who reflect the character of Christ. We believe in the preaching and teaching of the word of God, not just because it's, it's something that's cool to do or something exciting to do. I believe that his word has the power to change your life, my life, our families, our communities. And, and, and so that's why we give ourselves to that mission because we believe that the mere presence or the proclamation of his word, it brings life, it brings change, it brings transformation to our lives and to our communities. And that is why we are committed to that mission. This is why we, folks, church, we must share with urgency the word of God. Why? Because there's no other solution to our world's problems. We, we can point them in, in every direction to every you know, great book. We can point them to great figures, great people in life, but there's no other person, no other thing here on earth that will bring change and hope except Jesus Christ. And so that's why we, we have a responsibility, church, to share with urgency the only thing that will bring relief, hope, and transformation, and that is the word of God. If we're, wa we're wasting our time... We're wasting our time pointing to every other thing or person on this planet because the only thing that will truly transform is his word. This is why time must be spent in God's word, especially as families. That is critical. Parents and grandparents, it's important that we spend time with our kids and our grandkids. It's important that we, we open up the pages of scripture, that we pray with our kids, that we, we point them to the truth of God's word because as they get older, they may not understand it all, but as they get older, I want my kids to know that, that when they're facing something difficult or even when things are going great, we, we need to give glory and honor to Jesus Christ and him alone. He is the answer. He is our hope. He is the one that we should run to and our hearts are longing for. So, so parents and grandparents, there's nothing, nothing of more significance than making certain that, that we, you know, we, we do everything we can on Sunday morning. We want to make certain that we are teaching your children, that we're teaching them about Christ, pointing them to Christ. We're going to do that. But we, we only have them once a week. You have them a lot more than we do, all right? So we're, we're going to do everything that we can. We're going to steward that time well. But parents and grandparents, we need to make certain that we're using that time well at home when we're in the car. You know, what are we listening to? What are we talking about? And, and Moses does it great. In Deuteronomy, he, he says that, you know, when you get up, when you sit down, when you lie, down when you're at the dinner table, wherever you're at, we need to make sure that we're talking about the things of God. This is why the local church is vital. 
because it is in the presence of the preached word of God that our lives are changed and transformed. That, that's why I wanna make certain that I am teaching and preaching the true, pure word of God. I, I don't want you to just hear my words because my words aren't gonna change or transform your heart, your family, your community, our community. It is the word of God that will bring life change. And so that's why we need to be gathered together. The word strengthened the faith of the royal official son and he stirred up faith in his house. So let me give these last to you too quickly. Number three, we need to guard against, and this is very simple. We need to guard against the temptation to seek signs more than we seek the sign giver. Amen. Look at this. At the royal official's request for healing, Jesus, he's going to address the, the general attitude of the, of the people present. Look at it again. He says, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? He's questioning their motive. Are, are they more interested in the sign giver or are they more interested in the signs that Jesus will do? He, he knows the motives of their heart and he knows our motives as well. Jews were all about signs. They were all about sign seeking. We know in Matthew 12, verse 38, it says, one day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees, they came to Jesus and they said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. They were looking for signs every single day. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, it is foolish to the Jews who do what? They ask for signs from heaven. They were sign seekers, always looking for the next sign or miraculous thing to prove Jesus's authority. The corruption of humanity described by Paul in Romans chapter one. What, what happens if you read Romans one, you see that eventually he's describing the corruption of humanity. And what happens is people, we, we get this picture of, of people no longer worshiping the creator. What are they doing? They're worshiping the creation. That is a corruption. That is those who seek signs and not the sign giver himself. Even in charismatic and Pentecostal movements throughout history, there's a lot of good there, but there's also been times when, when signs rather than the sign giver becomes the primary pursuit of our life. And folks, the pursuit of our hearts, I want you to get this, the pursuit of our heart must not be the sign or the miracle, but the pursuit of our heart must be and needs to be Jesus Christ and him alone. One who searches for a sign will miss out on the beautiful provisions of the sign giver. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not signs, not miraculous things to happen, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, then they will be satisfied. The sign properly understood in John's gospel would always reveal the glory of God. We live in a culture where we look for the sign, we look for the miraculous, but it's always at the expense of missing the person of Jesus Christ himself. Finally, number four, his word, presence of Christ, is more than enough. The royal official, again, after pleading with Jesus to heal his son, he left and he simply took Jesus at his word. Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and he started home. The word of God, his word, Jesus' word was satisfactory, it was enough. He didn't need an explanation. He didn't need Jesus to give him details of how the healing was gonna happen or what was gonna take place. He didn't need Jesus to come physically. He did when he arrived, but his faith was strengthened. He took Jesus at his word. It was enough for him. Others wanted a sign, but this man was sufficient. This man was satisfied with the word of Jesus. He went away. He returned home confident in what God said. For many, the word or the presence of Christ is not enough. 
There are many in our culture today that are looking for signs and the miraculous things to take place and we're missing out on the person of Jesus himself. We're missing out on his word. We, we know I don't have time to go into this necessarily, but in the second century, there was a group of people called Judaizers. They, they believed that, that you were saved through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, but they added to that. It wasn't just, it wasn't just faith in, in Christ's work at the cross. They added to it good works. And so for Judaizers, they, they were looking for something more. They weren't interested just in the cross, but they wanted to add to that. That's why Paul would say, you know, I desire to know nothing among you except what? Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He knew that that was indeed enough. Folks, even when I, in the preaching world, and, and I know you may not get this or, or understand this, but, but I know that there are some pastors that, that try to tell, and I'm, I'm not a storyteller. I'm definitely not a joke teller. You know, I might share a few occasionally, but I'm often times they'll probably bomb, so I won't. Um, but, but the reality is, at, at the end of the day, it's not my words, it's not my great storytelling, it's not my joke telling, it's not you know how I necessarily present the word of God. Hopefully I do so in a clear fashion. But at the end of the day, it's the word of God, his word alone, that will transform hearts and lives. So as a preacher and teacher of the word, I, I don't wanna neglect my role, my responsibility, my call to preach and teach the pure word of God. Because when it is proclaimed. Folks, there's something that happens when his word is proclaimed that, that I cannot explain. It is supernatural. It is divine, but his word is living. It is alive and it can change your hearts, my heart, uh, our community's uh, hearts because it is alive and it is powerful. Solutions to anxiety, fear, loneliness, depression. We look for help everywhere, which is fine. But at the end of the day, we need to still run to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. The word, the presence of Christ, it was enough, and it alone brought change. So my question for us this morning, and worship team, if you want to come, here is my question for us today. Is his word alone, is his word alone enough for you? Is it enough for me? Is his word alone enough for me? Is his word alone enough for you? His word has unmatchable power to bring forth an incredible move of God. I can be the most eloquent speaker, teacher on the face of the planet, but I cannot do what God's word alone can do. His word has the ability to bring not just life change, but it has the ability to impact eternity. Again, Jesus said, I have come. I've come to do what? I've not come to make you happy. I've not come to make you comfortable. I think a lot of times we think that's what Christianity or the word is about to be comfortable or um, to be happy all the time. He said, I came to give you life. He wasn't just talking about life here on earth. He's talking about something better, talking about eternal life, life in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Folks, there is nothing better Nothing better that we can say yes to. Nothing better that we can receive. Nothing better that we can commit our lives to. Jesus Christ, he is our answer. He is enough. We declared it in song already. In worship, Christ is enough. There's freedom in his name. There's power in his name. There's salvation in his name. We've declared it throughout the entire worship set. We're gonna do that again here in just a moment, declaring that in worship, that Jesus Christ is enough. But my question for you, I can't answer this for you. I can answer it for me. But we have to wrestle with this question. Is his word alone enough for me? Is it enough? 
or am I giving myself to his word occasionally but trying to add a lot of things on to it because I, I, I'm not convinced I'm not confident like that royal official maybe you're here today and, and, and you you come into this room much like the royal official you believe believe in Jesus you know that he's a miracle worker you know that he can do the impossible but at the same time you're limiting him putting him in a box and you're not confident in his word alone I want you leaving this room today I want you leaving this place today confident knowing with certainty that the word of God the presence of Jesus Christ alone not his word plus something else or plus something of a lot of else's but but his word alone is enough faith in God's word his promise is that enough is it enough for you? Would you stand with me?